This is the place where the confiscated timber gets taken. And it's just like any barn, full of bits and pieces of old equipment. There's three fishing boats, half full of water and tadpoles that have been impounded. In the past, Siamese rosewood was very widespread across Thailand. It was everywhere, not just in the national parks like this, but even in the fields, in people's back gardens. And gradually, this has all been poached. We're in the dense forest of the Pangsida National Park in southeastern Thailand, not far from the Cambodian border, with Tim Redford, who runs the Surviving Together program of the NGO Freeland. He works with villagers and park rangers in a world of camera traps, criminal gangs and illegal logging in an area of forest over 6,000 kilometres square. Poachers are cutting the trees down off the medians in the middle of the road. They're going into temples. They're going into school yards. Everywhere there's a rosewood tree, they're cutting it down, and it's almost gone everywhere. But it wasn't always this way. The Buddha was born under the trees. He found enlightenment under the trees. The Buddha keep on reminding us that we should be indebted to the tree, pay our gratitude to the tree, and we should also learn from the trees very essential part of his teaching. Sulak Sivaraksa, he's a Siamese intellectual. People making a house, they need to cut the trees. They would go to the trees and ask the local spirit, would the local spirit allow them to cut the trees? And they would sleep for three nights. If they had bad dream, they would never touch a tree. That is in our, in our tradition. We believe Mother Earth, Mother River, Father Mountain, but in the Buddhist context, tree is the most important element in our life. And here, behind a locked gate and a floor-to-ceiling wire fence, bundles of homemade wooden rifles, piles of chainsaws and wheeled axles for dragging the timber through the forest, and then, room after room, stacked to the roof with dark red, densely grained hardwood, the rosewood itself the treasure everyone's after. But not the people of Thailand. It was known as the tree in the forest where the spirit resided. It has an almost mystical value. So Thais were a little bit apprehensive about ever including it as part of their house because they would bring the spirit of the forest into their house as well. It was left in Thailand. So why the huge demand? Since the Olympics in China, they wanted to renovate some of the Forbidden City in Beijing and it was originally built in rosewood. So they wanted rosewood and so it led to a little bit of a craze of rosewood in China, which is called Hongmu there. Dr Chamnian Varatan Chaipan of the International Union for the Conservation of Nature has been working with affected communities for 40 years. This tree has turned up to be painted with blood. When you say it is painted in blood, there has murdered, killings, and tortured, and hundreds and thousands of trees were moved from this particular place in order to go across the country to Cambodia, to Lao PDR, to Vietnam, and to China. Just like the pangolin in last week's Vietnamese forest, the exploitation of the rosewood tree here is all about the status of the owner of, in this case, Hongmu furniture. 
satisfying that status makes the rosewood trade worth more than all the world's trafficked elephant ivory, rhino horns, pangolins, lions and tigers put together. With low income Laotians, Cambodians and Thai doing the logging. They simply want to make their position more dignified because who owns this wood in terms of furniture, they are better recognised by other people. This is some sort of honourable position, some sort of prestige. This, then, is the story of what can happen to a single species in a free market. In nine years, Asia's been emptied of rosewood. It'll be talked about in this programme by those who have taken part as a war. Two Thai forest rangers were killed during our recording trip here alone. One shot, one deliberately run over by a logger's truck. Let's meet the foot soldiers in this conflict. First, the forest rangers, now directed by their own camera traps, sending them emails. I'm with Ranger Clow and his translator Pook, standing by these rooms full of confiscated rosewood. They will receive an automatic email every time that the sensor works. So every time that there's a movement in front of the camera, they will capture that picture and then send email to the user right away. And the user now is the chief and the team that are in charge of the patrol. And then person will send to the rangers to go in. And that often happens at night, doesn't it? Yes, it often happens at night, between 7pm until like early dawn. And Clau is just showing me on his phone some pictures of the poachers. It's black and white, it's grainy, it's a night shot, and there are some guys with backpacks on and they're making their way through a grassed area. And look, here's another picture of a guy with a backpack on, caught on camera, and he has no idea. How many men might be walking through a forest track with these at one time. It could be from 40 people up to 80 people, but now they, they are less, about 20 to 30 people at one time. There's whole networks involved in this. Some of them lead back to some very influential people, maybe some people who are even beyond the law. A lot of it involves local influential businessmen. They have a bit of money to invest and they see it as a quick return. What about villagers just doing the cutting or doing the spotting? Yeah, for sure. And this is leading to a big social problem in the villages because youths from the villages, you know, kids under 20 years old, are hard-pressed to find work in these small villages. And so somebody comes along to them and says, well... I'll give you 50 or 100 pounds for a night's work. Do you want to come in for that? And they'll say, yeah, we'll go for that. And so they have to work overnight. When the loggers are in the forest, they don't have to be just wary of the rangers. They have to be wary of other logging gangs as well because they're all armed and it's quite easy to go along and steal the timber from another gang. You don't have to lose the time of cutting it down and carrying it out. You can just wait for them to come along and then steal it. And so there's a bit of rivalry between these gangs, so they have to be very secretive and very quiet about what they're doing. And occasionally the rangers here find dead bodies in the forest. The villagers blame the rangers. They said, you shot them, but the rangers saying, it wasn't us. And on some of the post-mortems that have been conducted, they found AK-47 bullets. Well, in Thailand, they don't use AK-47s. They use 
M16s and HK33s, which is a different size bullet. So it's evidently not the Rangers or the army doing that. That's rival gangs shooting each other. So what we've got here is two large, strong, almost Hessian sack-like bags that have been made into a makeshift rucksack and also a head support. So yeah. this is how you would carry this very heavy timber out. How heavy is it? Fifty kilos. Fifty kilos on on your back, and this has been taken off a poacher. Yes. Yeah, so would you like to try? Yeah, sure. Okay, I'll try it. <laughs> Can you walk five or ten kilometer with that? The strain is on my. I can feel it on my shoulders, on my back. It's certainly making things feel bye very bye. heavy for my Thank feet. You. Bye. See you later. This is how much is this worth? <laughs> it's about ten pounds a kilo. Five hundred pounds. That's not bad. I, I might be inspired to walk five kilometers with that on my back. Because it is such a expensive wood, that's a good motivation for people to try to carry this out of the forest, and they will do whatever because it's worth it for one trip. Because they are poor. They want to have more money by planting their rice over here or rubber plantation over here or taking care of husbandry over here. It has so low the income. By getting into the forest to cut down the trees over there, it's simply a matter of a few days. You can get equal to one month income. So everyone wants to participate, even how risky it is, right? This is the World Heritage Site. Right? Will that make a difference to ordinary people, though, yeah. if Thailand says, or if the international organizations say, this is a World Heritage Protected Site? Well, you know, the crooks are the problem. There's World Heritage. It's not their own heritage. It's not community heritage. The World Heritage is somewhere else. It belongs to somebody else, you know, with a higher rank. It's not community heritage. It belongs to someone else of higher rank. Dr Chamnian cuts to the heart of the matter. If I offer you three months' wages for one night's work cutting down a tree here, why turn down the offer if you've just been told the forest belongs to someone else? How does a local village fight back against that? <laughs> Dr Chamnian, Tim, Pook, Neil and me pile into a truck and head towards the village of Bansai Tung, driving at first through large-scale fields of crops on the edge of the forest. Here, here are the tapioca or cassava. These are the cash crops, very quickly earned by the community. And you have to borrow money. Yeah, and you have to borrow the money. So about 7% seven, seven annually. This is corn that you can see over here. Oh, only three months. <laughs> only three months. You can harvest. And is the corn for local consumption or to sell? That's, you know, that's really mainly for the, for, for the export. Uh, and even gradually or slowly, that's really the biodiversity over here being destroyed. Right? <laughs>
This short drive has been a quick lesson in deforestation, money lending, debt, fast growth and soil degradation. The large rectangular fields look familiar to me. It's Western agriculture, the crops are for export and the real money is being made elsewhere. In the middle of all the talk, Tim starts looking at his phone. What's happened? The rangers arrested some loggers and somehow or another, after they were arrested, there was a fight and five of these poachers fought with the uh, rangers and some of the rangers were injured and taken to hospital. And this is only today's news. Yesterday in Prayer Province, a logging truck ran over one of the rangers because he was trying to stop it from escaping so he jumped in front of it and they didn't stop and ran him over and killed him. We reach the village and here to meet us is Bantong Sai, the local monk, who for four years has been directing and helping the villagers to replant areas amongst the forest with an array of fruits and vegetables. So this is the four years of the efforts of the community together with the Buddhist monk. This is uh, the 4,000 plum seedlings have been planted over here about three years ago, right? That's also the rosewood, you know, seedlings also planted over here. It looks rather messy, not, not so orderly. But what he is uh, really proud of is uh, the bamboos. You know, the people used to how's it called? weave for baskets. Uh, baskets, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's a really to be the income for, for the community. <laughs> so, so every year, you know, the community together under his leadership come and supplement what is missing over here because the cassava plantation is not a forest and you know and also rubber plantation is not forest so i'm just going to to say because i think it's really worth emphasizing that that you've got here plant species on five six seven different levels whether yes. it's grasses or fruits bamboos yes. rosewood yes. trees so that you need to look at a sort of multi story levels of plants and as I look out over it I can see long grass with individual trees sticking up. It's like half grown rainforest. I can see the potential for all these trees to be much bigger. And and he said that this is is really the the, the fresh market for them. People earn, people live and people can get the the, the forest products. You, You always have something new every time. Growing, so this is a really some sort of miracle of the nature. This is the point of this fight back against poverty and logging corruption. Grow your own healthy food, not single cash crops which seduce farmers into debt. As well as eating your food, sell it locally as organic produce for income. Work together and with spiritual guidance to resist offers to the young here to become illegal loggers. Listen to what happens when you do this. This is our happiness. So we have festivals, you know, or celebrations, when the people get married and a funeral over here, and the people can come over here and harvest it in order to donate on all these festivities for the needy. This is an optimistic place, and the village is obviously pleased and lucky to have a monk who's left his monastery and come to live in the forest with them. He really does have some influence here. 
But this is the same area as the confiscation shed earlier, a recruiting ground for young loggers on amphetamine-fuelled all-night logging missions. Direct action against loggers is also needed, and one very Thai approach to this is that of ordaining trees. In Bangkok, Sulak Sivaraksa. In this country, a young man at the age of puberty is ordained by taking general ropes and he would take the ten precepts. Traditionally, most young people at the age of puberty would become a novice and people respect them. I myself was a novice at the age of 12. I was at Catholic school. The teachers beat me, scold me, but once I put on the yellow robes, I became a novice. Every pay respect to me, you see, that in the culture. So we feel that if we use the same symbol, ordaining the tree, put the yellow robes on, and by so doing, consecrate the tree to be sacred, so people respect them. And this has gone beyond Buddhism. Even in the old day of animism, we respect that the tree has spirits, you see. So once you ordain the tree, the tree becomes sacred, people respect them. And this spreading. It works not only among Buddhists, even the Christian ask us to help them, the Kachin, the Karen, who are not Buddhists, also ask us to help them. So it works that way, ordaining the trees. Here in the forest, a long way from Sulak in Bangkok, they're a bit more sceptical about the power of the orange robe wrapped and tied around single trees miles from anywhere and anyone. But they do see it as something to build on. It's not only wrapping the yellow cloth around the trees only, but it has to be started from inside. So you have the ceremony, but the ceremony actually indicates something much bigger. Yes. We have to go beyond the ceremony, deep into the mind and the spirit. So if you have a wrapping around a tree, it's a very visible sign of something. Yes. Might that stop a poacher cutting uh-huh. that tree? Partially. Otherwise, we have to wrap every tree that we cannot do, right? But he participated in the wrapping of the yellow rope around other communities. But over here in this community, he tried to build up from the spirit. That now he witnessed, really, the ordination from within. So he would like to invite us. He prepared lunch for us. Oh, that's so lovely. He prepared, he prepared lunch. <laughs> that's lovely. You can see. So this is a really the local, local pineapples. Bamboos can feed for the whole village. That that's really miraculous plant. The sticky rice, you see the sticky rice in the bamboos, the, the container, and you put rice over there and cook it, you will like it. <laughs> yeah, the bamboo shoes, you know, that, that you can eat. Uh-huh. So we're walking through along a, a red dirt path through what looks like fairly scrappy jungle to me, but everybody's seeing inside that jungle all sorts of plants, from bamboo to we just found a little tiny pineapple growing. Um, so there's interesting prints in the dirt as well. Wild boar. Wild boar. 
ยกินไม่กินครับ that that's a cement that don't eat the wildlife you know over here มีพวกอะไรครับมีช้างจะอยู่ bear เอา bear bear also เคยครับเคยเคยเคยมา yeah even bear then roaming around you know over here as well there are butterflies everywhere drinking from the very damp soil and so to a lunch of bamboo soup Tofu, rice, mushrooms, vegetables, and herbs, which we wrap in fragrant leaves to eat. The cheerful optimism of this place somehow just emphasizes the terrible cost the rosewood has imposed on this land. This tree we're sitting under now, this lovely stately tree with its beautiful shady canopy, yeah. is a rosewood tree, Dalbergia cochinchinensis. It's worth. Hundreds of thousands of dollars, or pounds, right. or baht. Right. They can say, "Oh, well, it's really beautiful," but the fact is, my mother is really sick, and I need to take her to hospital, or right. my son needs to go to university. We want to improve ourselves. This tree can change my life. And those are the person who come in over here, in order to take the rosewood. They are the poor people. The the government. Uh, offices, right, need to improve the quality of life of the people, the livelihood of the people. That's almost a dream to say, oh, we can improve the livelihood of the people in Cambodia and Laos, and then they won't come and take our trees. I mean, that's just not going to happen in the next 20 years. But possible. It's possible. Of course. You I hold have, hope. For I that? have hope, yeah. certainly. Really? Right. Yes, I do. Because I have seen and witnessed myself while working with the community, you know, for the last 40 years now, right? I believe people's power. If we can go there and work together with them sincerely, whether they allow Thai and Cambodian, you know, people. Tim hears us talking about Cambodia and picks up on the serious nature of the conversation. The Rosewood War and I can call it a war, has been a heavy strain on the relationship between Thailand and Cambodia. Over the last six years or so, since it really first started, it got to a point where armed insurgents coming across the border for political reasons have changed into armed transnational gangs who are looking for this high-profit timber. And if they come over a border with a weapon and they run into the army, the army are going to shoot them. And it got to a point about two years ago where almost 200, even more than that, people per year were being shot in the forests by the Thai army. And finally, the Prime Minister of Cambodia just pleaded with Thailand, stop shooting our people. And Thailand took notice of that, and less Cambodians are being killed. And luckily, they realised there is a direct correlation between carrying a weapon in the forest and the likelihood of getting shot. So five years or so, four years or so ago, it was a really dangerous situation in the forest here. But it is getting better unless people are getting shot on both sides, Thais and Cambodians. Remarkably, the people here have made several trips into Cambodia to meet other villagers, taking gifts of food and planting rosewood trees. Hidden in this program, beneath any political radar, this mix of farmers, monk, villagers, intellectuals, the good doctor and his friends, children who raise money through performing in a band, and some NGO money, have begun a 30-year planting project against armies and loggers. That is how long it will take the seedlings to grow. 
And quite suddenly, the reason for the palpable optimism here is obvious. Some men made millions destroying the rosewood in just nine years. These people, with very little, are doing something to put it all back. He, together with the villagers over here, went across the border in order to plant trees, you know. Uh, the rosewood is included, right? And he also joined together with the Cambodian people. They came across the border in order to plant uh, trees in Thailand as well, right? Yeah, and the Thai people also wanted to see how the people live over there. They want to visit because some of them are friends. They are relatives as well. Yeah, because not very far from here. <coughs> the sharing, they said, really beyond the border. And also as much as the reforestation could be done also across the border. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> you all right? He swallowed a fly. <laughs> but the world keeps turning. Now the, the value of Siamese rosewood is so high, it's out of the hands of most average Chinese. Even the, the newly rich in China can't afford Siamese rosewood. So what's happening, they're switching to Burmese rosewood, a species called Dalbergia oliveri. It's quite a lot cheaper, it's a lot less dense, it's a lot lighter, so the hue's a little bit different, but there's a lot more of it, and it's very affordable for the middle-class Chinese, so they want that. So this trend is changing from Siamese rosewood to Burmese rosewood. When that becomes extinct, they'll move to another species, and so on and so on. What's preserved the forests in this region in the past has been war. Yeah, definitely. Along the Thai-Cambodian border, the wildlife has been protected because of minefields that have been along there and political instability that meant there was very little discussions between the two countries. Right now, along the Thai-Myanmar border, there's a whole area which is under the control of the Karen, and it's become one huge contiguous protected area that extends from the Karen foothills right down to the border in Renong in southern Thailand, which is thousands of kilometres. That Karen region of Myanmar, formerly known as Burma, has suffered a 68-year civil war. And those Karens, I have worked with them and I respect them, you know, they have their own local wisdom. So next, we go to Asia's last great wilderness to meet the Karen people who live in that forest. You must go to meet people, the suffering people. I think we should learn more from our neighbour. We should learn to be more humble.